Napoleon um, at Waterloo, while their allies, the Prussians under General Blücher, were pinned down, down the road after they had been defeated a couple of days previously by Napoleon. So the British and the French armies fight all day long at Waterloo, but towards the end of the battle, the British are close to defeat. They're, they're perched on a small hill. Um, their ammunition and their numbers are depleted. They've held back Napoleon most of the day, but they are now in a desperate situation. And Napoleon decides he's going to deal his death blow, and he sends forward his undefeated elite troops, the Imperial Guard, and the Imperial Guard march on Wellington's position. Wellington sees the desperation that he and his army are in, and he knows unless Lucia and the Prussians arrive, come to his aid, his army will be destroyed. And on realizing this, Wellington begins to pray, and it's recounted that at this point he raised his head towards heaven and he said, God, give me Lucia and his Prussians give me the night. He knows that as things stand, he is helpless and that all of his hope now has to be placed outside of himself, outside of his own army and it must be placed in the hope of deliverance by the Prussians. Well, as we turn our attention to Psalm 130 this morning, we see that our psalmist is in, in somewhat of a similar situation. Here we have a man who has come to his wit's end and he's in a position where he realises that his only hope has to be found out with himself. Hope cannot be found within and he has to reevaluate where his trust and his hope are to be found. So let's look at the psalm this morning, we're going to, we're going to go through it um, verse by verse and see what the psalm has to say to us this morning. So firstly, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Let's firstly consider the situation that this psalmist is in. Out of the depths, I cry to you. This is a phrase that um, we see often in the Psalms. It's repeated quite often. And it's a phrase that captures the, the utter desperation and the despair felt by Psalmists in various situations. Often it's a, a phrase that represents a, a feeling or, or feelings which can't often be put in any other way. There's no words appropriate descriptions to put towards it. It's simply out of, out of the depths. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you simply can't put words to a situation that you're in? Well, that's the kind of phrase that this is, out of the depths. Psalm 69 does give us more detail of what being in this particular 
place might look like. David says in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched and my eyes fail looking for my God. <coughs> David equates in Psalm 69 this feeling of being in the depths to, to like drowning with no hope of resurfacing. That's how it feels, says David. And, and I think this is some of what this psalmist here in 103 is feeling. He feels that he's drowning in his despair. And if we look ahead to verse 3, we see the reason for the psalmist's despair. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? This is the despair of a man who has fallen into sin and is looking for a way out. Well, what is his way out? Out of the depths, I cry to you. We here have a man who is experiencing despair as a result of his own sin. And yet he is a man who understands that the only way he can escape his sin, escape these depths, is by crying out to the one whom he has sinned against. And notice firstly the urgency of his call here. He's not saying, I, I present my request to you, God. God, if, if you have the time, could you, could you please listen to me? He says, I cry to you. Hear me. There's an urgency in his cry. When, when a baby is in need of its mother, it doesn't wait for the appropriate time where its mother has nothing else to do before it asks its mother to come and help. No, when a baby is in need of its mother, it cries, and it cries its eyes out until its mother comes. psalmist is in the depths of despair here and he's crying out. Sometimes crying out is all we can do. Whether that is crying in words or literally crying with tears as we struggle to find the words to describe to God how we feel. Sometimes crying out in desperation is all we can do. And it's what the psalmist is doing here. But notice secondly about this cry. It's not directionless. This is a cry with direction and purpose. I cry to you, O Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. Notice how he uses Yahweh. He uses the covenant name of God here. This is not some abstract entity that he is crying out to. No, this is the God whom he knows, whom he trusts. He uses God's name. Notice after he uses God's name, he says, O oh Lord, hear my voice. Um, that first, O oh Lord, in the capital letters is, is Yahweh, of course, God's personal name. The, the second Lord there is, is Adonai. Adonai uh, is used throughout the Old Testament. Um, to refer to relationships where there is a, 
a, a master-servant kind of relationship. It's often used of fathers and sons, but most commonly it's a master and a servant. So not only does the psalmist use the personal name of God, the, the name that he knows, the God that he knows, but he also reaffirms that he is God's servant and that God is his master, that God has lordship over him. And within that as well, he is, he is recognising that his master has power. His master has, as an eye, has the power to save him from these depths and from the situation that he's in and from his sin. And what does he want to say next? I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive. Hear my voice, let your ears be attentive. The depths that the psalmist are in, the depths that we often can find ourselves in, can be an extremely lonely place, as I'm sure all of you know. Even if we are surrounded by good people, we can often feel alone. We might feel that we have no one to talk to, no one who will quite understand what we're going through. Maybe no one we feel will listen to us. Well, the psalmist knows that he is crying out to someone who will listen. He can ask God with confidence hear his prayer, to hear his cry. This isn't that scene from that movie where the protagonist is in a desperate situation and his last hope is to, to kind of cry out to God and he says, God, if, if you are there, help me. If you're able to do this, there's no ifs in what the psalmist is saying here. Hear me, be attentive to my cry. And how can, how can the psalmist know this? Well, the psalmist knows this because he knows the one to whom he is calling. He knows his Yahweh, he knows his Adonai, and he knows the God of Israel will hear. Just as he said in the time of the Exodus, I have heard my people's cry. Or as he says in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. The psalmist knows his God and knows his God will hear. Well, let's look at the, the substance of his cry. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The substance of his cry is a cry for mercy. Remember, this man is in the debt because of sin. And so there is no other, there is no other option for him. He realizes there's no merit within himself, no petition, nothing that he can point to within himself to say, God, 
I'm deserving of this. All his hope must be placed in the mercy of the one to whom he has petitioned. Well, I'm sure all of you know your history very well and know at the Battle of Waterloo, as Napoleon's crack troops approached the British, as the British were about to be destroyed, Wellington's prayer was answered and Blucher and his Prussians arrived in the nick of time and routed the French army. Um, and after that, Napoleon was on the run and uh, he had nowhere to go. Uh, he dared not go back to Paris and, and face the French. He, he knew that if he went to the Prussians, he would be executed. Um, Poland, uh, Napoleon's campaigns against the Prussians were extremely brutal and he knew he would not receive any mercy from them. So what does Napoleon do? Napoleon goes to Britain and he hands a letter to a captain of the British army that's addressed to the Prince Regent. And this is what Napoleon's letter says, I claim from your Royal Highness the protection of the laws of England and I throw myself upon the mercy of the most powerful, constant, and generous of my enemies. Napoleon has nowhere he can go. He can't claim any more of his own power. The only thing he can do is go to the British, go to the king, and throw himself upon the mercy of the king. That is what the psalmist is doing this morning. He's throwing himself upon the mercy of the God who he knows, who he trusts, and whom he claims is his Lord. His cry for mercy can be a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing for Christians. It can also be a difficult thing for those who do not know Christ yet. To get yourself to a point where you say, there is nothing in me, there is no hope, there is nothing that I have that I can give, except to beg for mercy. It's a difficult and a challenging place to get to. But friends, in order to receive, them, in order to receive God's mercy, we have to get to that place. And it is a grace from God that he allows us to cry out for mercy. One of my favourite books is The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure many of you have read it. Uh, but there's a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim, the protagonist, uh, Christian, sorry, the protagonist, he's being shown certain images which represent things. And he's shown a man in a cage ask questions about this man in the cage and this is what the man in the cage says I left off to watch and be sober I laid the reins upon the necks of my lust, I sinned against the light of the word and the goodness of God I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent Pilgrim sees a man who has sinned so continuously who has sinned without repentance his whole life 
and has now reached a point where he, he, he cannot repent, he cannot turn to God and ask for mercy because he has so hardened his heart. Friends, what a grace and a blessing it is for us this morning when God gives us those pangs in our heart to turn to him and cry out for mercy. What a grace that is from him. Do you feel those pangs this morning? Do you need to seek his mercy? Don't wait. And don't harden your heart. Well, the psalmist is not hardening his heart here. psalmist knows that with the record of sin that stands against him, he has no choice but to cry out. And again, he's crying out to the God he knows and the God he trusts. I wonder what Napoleon felt like when he received mercy from the British Empire. Mercy in the sense that he was exiled again but he was allowed his life Napoleon was, Napoleon was shown mercy but I wonder what Napoleon would have felt like had he gone to the British Empire for mercy and not only had they spared his life given him his life but in turn said Napoleon come into our royal family fact, I'm the king, Napoleon, be my son and be my prince and inherit all that the British Empire has. I wonder how Napoleon would have felt when we receive a pardon from the Lord. When we come from a position where we are not Christians, we are not believers and we receive a pardon from the Lord. The Lord not only gives us mercy, not only gives us forgiveness, but he makes us his sons, makes us his children, makes us co-heirs with Christ. What a radical thing. No one would have believed it or accepted it had Napoleon been treated in that way. And yet this is the way we have been treated so much more infinitely by the Lord God. And so the psalmist can say, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Such an overwhelming grace can only engender fear. Charles Spurgeon says of this, he says, that you may be feared in this verse states, this is the fruitful root of piety. None fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence of God than all the dread inspired by punishment. It is grace which leads the way to a holy regard and a fear of grieving him. The psalmist has been so forgiven When we come to Christ, we are so forgiven and given so much that the only 
natural response is fear. Who is this God? If he would not only show us mercy, but give us the riches of the king. Therefore, you are feared. Well, let's move into to stanza three. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. A few years ago I was uh, working in farming. I worked in uh, a beef cattle farm. And one day we had, a, we had a cow who was giving birth. And she gave birth to this calf. And this, this calf was, was poorly and sickly. Usually the cow gives birth. The calf kind of jumps up and it starts to, um, to suckle on its mother. And the, the milk the mother produces at the very beginning is called colostrum. And the colostrum milk is full of all of the, 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 the minerals and the proteins and the, uh, and the vitamins that that new calf needs to survive. And if it doesn't get that colostrum um, in the first moments of its life, the calf dies. And usually the calf is born and it kind of jumps up and it starts suckling and gets the energy it needs. But this one time this calf was, was born and it was, it, was, it was sickly and it was weak and it just couldn't get up to suckle. And it looked like it was about to die. But then the farmer I worked with, he, he came over and he, he picked up the calf and he took it over to his mother and he started to feed it this colostrum milk from his mother. And I'll never forget it, within a second, two seconds, this calf that was sick and poorly and weak, all of a sudden, instantaneously, was revived and became strong and began to run about. It was miraculous, miraculous. Well, as we come into the third stanza, into the third stanza, we see that our psalmist is revived, revived. And his revival is centered on the central verse of the psalm. This is verse five. In your word, I put my hope. Just as the mother's milk to the calf would bring it revival, so it's through the Father's word that our psalmist has come to you be revived. How has God's word brought this reviving power to our psalmist? Again, it's encapsulated in the fact that this psalmist knows who his God is. He knows that he can cry out to this God. He can call on this God's name. He knows that this Lord will hear him. He knows that this Adonai is powerful to save. He knows that his Lord is a forgiving Lord. And he knows all of these things because he knows the word of God. He can look back over the history of his people and see all of the great things that the Lord has done. He sees how God listens to his people. He sees how God shows his people 
mercy. He sees how God hears and answers prayer. So in his word, I put my hope, he says. But notice, within this, he has to wait. He has to wait. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his, um, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Notice the urgency of what he's saying here. Five, five times he has to wait. The same wait, wait, wait over and over again brings that sense of urgency. This is not just a, I'm going to sit around and, and kill time until God does something. He's waiting Expectingly, expectingly, that the Greek word, uh, sorry, the Hebrew word here that's used, um, that's translated as wait, can often be translated as expecting or looking. This is a man who's waiting on a response from God, waiting for his God to revive him. He's waiting, expectantly, and he's looking. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. I spent some time um, at university in the British Army's officer training corps, and we'd often go out on exercise. And when you're on exercise and you're, you're, you're staying nights in the field, you, you have to post watchmen to protect your camp while the soldiers sleep. And I just remember this this one time we were we were um, out in January um, up north. Baltic, freezing cold, you're lying there in the dirt, five o'clock in the morning, and you're watching for the enemy. You're also watching for the sun, because you know the sun is the only thing that's going to bring you relief. It's the only thing that's going to bring you rest. It's the only thing that will st stop you um, from being cold as you get up and you can be able to wrap up and move. You're watching expectantly, with expectation. And you're watching for the inevitable. It is inevitable that the sun will come up. Just as it is inevitable that God's word will speak. And God's word will speak to you. No matter what situation in life you're in, God's word will speak to you if you read it, if you trust it, and if you wait upon it. It might take days of reading it, it might take months, it might take years, it might take a second, but it is inevitable that God's word will speak to you as you do. Just as it is inevitable that the sun will rise. And again, how does the psalmist know this? He knows this because he knows the word and he knows who his God is. He knows he can trust God because he can trust the word. And he knows he can trust the word because he trusts God. Well, to move into the last stanza and to, to conclude. The last
Jonah stands out, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord's unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. The psalmist moves from a very private discourse into a very public discourse. Um, this is uh, a psalm of ascent. This would be sung by the people of Israel as they went up to Jerusalem for various festivals. Um, and as the people went, they would sing this and they would remember who their God is. They would remember his unfailing love and they would remember his full redemption. Just to focus on the last verse to conclude. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. The psalmist knows a, a fraction of the truth of what he is saying here. God, he himself, the Lord Yahweh Adonai, will redeem his people. He himself will. doesn't yet know that he himself and the person of Christ Jesus, he himself will do it. And he will do it by becoming one of his people suffering and dying and raising again to life for them. The Lord Jesus would delve into these depths to the very fullest extent he would become cursed to rescue those who were cursed I wonder after Napoleon had given his letter to the king and if this king had indeed taken Napoleon and made him his own son and given him the treasures of the empire, radical enough, it would never happen. Never happen. What if the king, in order to do that, in order to pardon Napoleon and give him the riches of the kingdom, what if the king had to give up his own son? never happen. It's ridiculous. It's scandalous. And yet this is how God says he loves us. And this is what God says is the cost of his mercy. He himself, Christ Jesus, Father, 
someone to describe the grace that you have shown to us or inadequate. So Father, we thank you this morning. We trust you. And Father, we pray that you give us boldness to share this gospel and to share this message with our friends, with our family, with our neighbours. And I pray, Father, you would send us forth to preach this incredible grace to the world. Father, help us accept this truth into our heart. And if there are those among us this morning that feel that they are in the depths of despair, for whatever reason, Father, I pray that by your Spirit we would turn our hearts towards Christ and the glorious riches that he's given us. Help us place our hope firmly 